Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 27th of November 2017. I'm Joe and with me are Phelim. Hello. And Ike. Morning. And Jesse is not with us. He is still, I think he's en route from America, just about to get on the plane or on the plane or something. But we will catch up with him next time. Yeah, he didn't have time for a fast train. <laughs> Can you get a train from America? <laughs> Who knows? Lads, I think that's called a ferry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's do a bit of news. And RISC-V has been accepted into the mainline kernel, which is excellent news. So we might have a future with a fully open stack in phones, routers, PCs, who knows? Maybe. It's still very early days for RISC-V, isn't it? But it is totally open and... This is a major step as far as I'm concerned. You need to have proper kernel support for people to bother making the hardware and therefore the software that's going to run on it. Yeah, and there's a fair few uh, large companies behind it as well. So, I mean, it's not like it's just a bunch of guys from a university going out on their own. There's there's a lot of backing for it from company-wise. I just hope it's going to translate into something that we can actually see soon. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be soon. The, there are some boards that are available to manufacturers, but I think that it's going to be at least another year before we've even got anything that's like a sort of single board computer, Raspberry Pi type deal. I think realistically, by the time we've got it in anything that's properly consumer ready, it's going to be at least a couple of years, if not longer. Yeah. But you have to start somewhere. And we have started along this road now. And hopefully, it's going to mean that we've got something that is totally free software, top to bottom. And it, obviously, like everything else, it's going to be running Linux. Yeah, and Librem will be there to stick it into their phone when they finally build it in 10 years' time. Yeah, I mean, that's the measure of success here. Like, how many failed Kickstarters are we predicting here? <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that Librem failed, obviously, but, you know, I say four Kickstarters and two imprisonments. <laughs> Before we can really call this a legitimate option. No, hang on. No one ever goes to prison for not um, fulfilling their Kickstarter promises. Kickstarter just goes, I'd be right back. Just got to do something here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can get away with whatever you want because Kickstarter and their like, Indiegogo and stuff, they just say that we don't take responsibility. It's a risk, whatever. What? Why didn't you tell me this years ago I had jobs and I was in the market and everything? Well, you have a reputation, don't you? Ah, fuck that shite. <laughs> I like how a good positive story about a free open source processor goes to kicking crowdfunding in the balls. Well, it was always going to be a bit risky. Go on, pun is made now. It was a bit risky. Right, we can move on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Firefox 57 Quantum. I'm staring at it right now. It's a little bit better than it was before. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a quantum leap. Ha, 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 though. Phelim, you're a Firefox man. Yeah. What do you think of it? Okay, it's not like curing cancer or anything like that. (laughs) It's really improved performance on an awful lot of the sites I use. But um, yeah, obviously Google stuff's still broken, but you know what? (laughs) I don't care. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) it it ticks all my boxes, I'll tell you that much. The only annoying thing it did was I use Foxy Proxy, which is a a multi-proxy kind of pattern matching plugin. And it sort of scrubbed all my settings, which is really annoying because I have about 15 proxies. Now, these are not try and get 
content. I'm not supposed to get content around the world. I use them for uh, clients like using um, SOX proxies using SSH as a, a cheap and easy VPN. Um, so yeah, it still works though. So happy days that the, one of the main plugins I use is, is all fine. So yeah, selfishly, I'm very happy. All I can picture is that meme of good luck finding me. I'm behind seven proxies. <laughs> Yeah, good luck finding where I am is more of the uh, the aspect for me. I'd be like, uh, how do I get where now? <laughs> because I had to try and recreate the lot because it just deleted it all. I was like, yeah, cheers, that's great. And there wasn't any way to restore it from a backup or whatever? I don't know. Just, uh, yeah, probably. But I just went, no, uh, look, this is, this is a forced spring clean. Let's do it. Yeah. So, Ike, you are a Chrome man day to day, but you support yeah. Firefox in your distro. Yeah. Presumably you've tested it. Yeah. And? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to switch that. Uh, I mean, we've updated it. kind of had to because every single Firefox update comes along. So, hey, it's a great new update. Two days later, psst, there are a shitload of CVEs. Don't download me. So you've kind of got to update it unless you stick on the ESR and nobody's going to allow you to stay on the ESR. So, we got new features. Yeah, but none of the other shit you use works anymore. What? <laughs> all that it's all switched to web extension because Google Chrome actually won that fight. What? <laughs> that, that's kind of sorry, but yes, it is better. Yes, it looks nicer. Um, I personally had to turn off Servo, which is the one redeeming feature of Firefox 57, is it now has Servo, which is powered by Rust, and it's so much faster and so much stabler. Um, I can say that it crashes faster. <laughs> that's weird i haven't had one single crash that's an optimization you know it crashes faster so i've turned off servo and it's still faster than it was even with servo turned off so that's kind of cool um it, it seems nice but i'm kind of it's always like you're waiting for the next firefox and that's the thing that annoys me you get this new one's like oh this stuff is in there it's, it's finally got working electrolysis because for ages it didn't get rolled out to everyone then it finally got that then we're waiting on this next thing, which is Servo, and removing all of the XUL stuff to have a web extension. And now we've got that. It's like, yeah, we're still waiting for the next thing, which is going to be um, client-side decoration support. And there's a lot of other little things. And it's, I always felt like I'm waiting for Firefox to get good enough. Uh, and it's been that way for a long time, whereas I can just open up Chrome and shit works. All right, to be fair, it's like writing your diary straight to Google. But... <laughs> Yeah, and it's negative in the freedom, freedom dimension. dimension. <laughs> um, that, that's getting far too easy to do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's definitely improved. Yeah. Uh, is it going to win me over yet? No. It's because I'm always waiting for the next thing. I I don't know. If they was just to make a big push and it came out with all the promises instead of every, like, it, it feels like every couple of months that the the things you were waiting for have actually got there and i don't know it just it still doesn't do it for me it's still not fast enough even with the official mozilla builds it's all right the ui is still a bit ganky i don't know what the hell has gone on with the supposed omnibar where it, it just doesn't feel like it's laid out properly or using up the room properly you got this big text bar sitting in the middle of the ui and i don't know it's it's better, but it's still not good enough. It, that That's my opinion of it. I want something that's got a minimal UI on there that does the shit I need it to do and isn't some 
something like Epiphany or what's that other one? No, I, f- I find the new customizations are great now because I, I think you can tweak an awful lot more in the toolbar. Do you know, I didn't even notice that the uh, tab bars went to the top. How stupid is that? People were going on about that for a few days until I went, what are they all on about? And I looked at an old screenshot that I had on my desktop and I was like, oh shit, yeah, so so does. <clears throat> Mr. Observant. Yeah, apparently. But Ike, can I just go back to this idea of the they're always promising features and then you have to wait for them and then they eventually come? Well, that's because it's an open development model and Chrome is proprietary bullshit and they just drop features when they're ready, whereas Mozilla will work on them in the open and that's why we know to look forward to them. Yeah, but Chrome also has a blog. <laughs> and Chromium <laughs> is also open source, so you know what's happening in Chromium. We knew that CSD was coming to it for a long time. That part of it isn't really that different if you look at the core parts of it. But I mean, if Firefox will get there. My my concern is for the things they need to be viable for everyone. And they've had to make concessions on that, obviously, like having EME support and all the bits that they didn't really want. I think the things that people are still holding out for, which might even be minor stupid shit, like because the HTitle uh, extension no longer works with Firefox 57, which is something that a lot of people used. We don't have the full CSD support yet in 57. It's only in nightly. And it's all those little things that people want and need to have a better browser. They they just aren't near it. And they've taken so long. Like They've taken the last couple of years to start getting back up to speed. And by the looks of it, all right, there might only be a couple of releases out. But in the meantime, I've still got Chrome, which all this time has done exactly what I needed to and has worked. And I'm waiting the last couple of years for Firefox to even catch up to be anywhere near as good. And it's nowhere near as fast as Chrome. It's good you value your privacy so much. <laughs> I, I, I have no privacy. I live in a glass bowl. There's not a million quid that Google give me every year that would be worth what they would get info-wise. Okay, well, look, c- compare our situations. My life is basically le- is out in an open bowl anyway. Everyone can see what I'm doing. Nothing that I do is really hidden. You know, like, everyone can see my information. I work in the public. There's nothing left for me to hide at this point, you know, so... There, there are things, yeah, obviously privacy does concern me. And uh, for those stuff, I I have over solutions, you know, like in terms of my own data backups. But for for my browsing needs and just going to GitHub and Twitter, you know, I don't have Facebook or I don't have any of that stuff. Uh, basically, it's Google Plus, Twitter, uh, YouTube, maybe the odd news site, Veronix, oh my God, Ubuntu. Those are pretty much the entire internet for me. Fair enough. Um, all right, well, let's talk about one aspect which seemingly isn't that interesting, but is actually much more interesting, and that is the switch back to Google as a default search in the US. It doesn't really make much difference to me. I think it has always been Google, but... Start page. Uh, whatever. Uh, anyway, so back in 2016, so yeah, last year, last summer, there was an article on Ars Technica about how the then CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Mayer, had done a deal with Mozilla that amounted to $375 million per year for Yahoo to be the default search in Firefox. And you would think, well, okay, now here we are a year later and they've switched back to Google, so they're obviously not getting any of that money anymore. Well, that is not true. They're getting all of the money from Google, whatever deal they've done with them. 
but they're also continuing to get that $375 million every year, um, this year, next year, and 2019, which pretty much amounts to over a billion dollars, whichever way you look at it, from Yahoo, because there was a clause in it, in that deal that they did, that said, if Yahoo gets sold, which as we know it has now to Verizon, if Mozilla doesn't like the person to whom they have sold it, they can change the search provider, but still keep the money every year, which is either a spectacularly shit <laughs> deal by Marissa Mayer, and she is either completely fucking incompetent, or whoever did the deal at Mozilla is a fucking genius. I think it's more of the latter, <laughs> to be honest. But it means that they're getting like double paid. They're double busy for the next year or three. Stupid like a fox. Uh... So they are <laughs> minted. They were already doing all right, but now they've got money to burn. So they bloody well should catch up with Chrome very soon. I mean, I want that to happen. You know, it doesn't sound like you want it to happen. <laughs> Seems like you're happy in your little Chrome world, polishing away. No, once upon a time, Firefox was all I would run. You know, back before they went mental and started chasing Fire, uh, Chrome's tail, if you forgive the pun. And at the time, that was like Firefox 3 and Firefox 4. And then all of a sudden, they started jumping after Chrome and having these mad version numbers. And for me, that's when things started to go wrong because once at one time, Firefox was the best browser that you could run when you was on Linux. It was the fastest to start. It was the fastest to run. It did everything that you need. And then over time, it started getting more janky. And then this wouldn't work. And then that wouldn't work. And then these extensions no longer worked. And these plugins wouldn't work. And then you had to have this thing. Or that thing had to change. Or the storage was gone. Or then they wanted you to sign up with this service, that service, and the other service. All right, you can argue with Google. You already signed up with a service, Google itself. But then they wanted things like hello, and then they wanted sync, and then they started putting fucking screenshot buttons. Most recently, like fucking in a, a cloud-based screenshot function into my browser. I don't want that shit. I want a browser that fucking browses rapidly and uses less memory than it does. And to be fair, that screenshot thing is pretty cool because it can screenshot a whole web page, and you used to have to have an extension to do that. Yeah, but I've got an extension for that in Chrome, and it doesn't need to fucking cloud service. It saves on my box, and I can install it optionally. It's not part of the default thing. That's not a feature. That's a fucking toy you install afterwards. That is not, like, a defining feature for a browser. It's like, we got a screenshot button. Okay, are you going to compete with Edge and then put fucking annotations on it? Like, it just... Yeah. To me, it feels like for a long time they completely lost their shit because they went chasing mobile as well. They had the Firefox OS, and then there was interest in television. And it it, it seems they've finally been steered back towards the light, and they're like, oh, fuck, we make a web browser. Well, a couple of things that I think is really good, and you're never going to get things like this from Google, is in 58 they've got the additional privacy stuff that's coming in. And a couple of ones that they've they've publicized already is... Um, first party isolate so all the data that associate with it like any of the third party stuff hst data cache images like it all gets associated with the domain and then you've also got fingerprint resistance um we all know like you can tell more about what plugins you've got installed all that all the amount of info that your browser leaks is they're actually going to put in something there where I don't know where they're going to scramble the data and every time you go to a different site, they're going to just make up random stuff like what plugins you have, etc. I, I think things like that, you know, things that no advertising company would ever, ever allow 
they're going to have in there by default. And I think that's really good. No, I, mean, I do agree with you. I think that is good stuff and that is good feature ad for a browser. But that goes back into what I was saying. It's like, this is them getting back to being a browser first company. You know, this is their most important product. And that makes me happy because I want to see them doing that again, where it is, you know, Firefox first and getting features that matter to the browser, not just competing in silly fields just because everyone else in the market is trying to do it. So let's get a leg up. That's what I want to see from Firefox. And that's the sort of stuff that would make me go back to Firefox and get rid of Chrome because the truth is, like you say, once you're in Chrome, you are completely locked into it. Everything you do there, you are just part of a statistical analysis for an advertising market. Nobody really wants to be there, he says, while selling his soul. But <laughs> that that's the sort of stuff that would take me back to Firefox. But it's taken them so long to do this about turn. Well, I was running off and chasing the shiny. So I'm hopeful that in another few releases, you know, maybe by, say, 59, when everything is established, it'd be like, you know, this is a dominant force again. This is something I would like to use. So I do have my fingers crossed there, but I'm also going to be pragmatic at the same time. All right, well, let's move on and talk about Android kernels and how there's a possibility that we might be able to get generic kernels that will run across multiple ARM devices. This is too good to be true. Phelan, you've put this in. Please explain to me how this is not too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. (laughs) They even (laughs) say that all the work that they're doing to make it a single uh, kernel for all the devices is sort of being pissed away if any of the um, the vendors don't actually get on board as well. But the beauty of this is the fact that uh, Google is now stipulating that um, from going forward, they're going to have to use LTS kernels. So I think fourteen uh, or 4.14 is going to be the sort of benchmark of what's going to be there for probably the next few releases anyway. Yeah, six years, Greg says, as long as people actually update it. Minor correction there. 4.14 will not be a six-year support. Right. Uh, There was a recent bit about this on uh, Google Plus recently. Um, It will be an LTS kernel, but it's not going to be a six years like the older ones were. Any reason? Uh, Not sure, but it was just assumed by everyone that it'd be at six years like the older 4.4, but apparently that's that's it. It's not going to be. So it's not something I know the exact whys on, but I just know for a fact that it will not be six years, this one. Maybe there's more new stuff coming up they don't want to be too stuck on for too long or something like that. Oh, my understanding was that the previous ones had been two years and this was going to be six years as long as uh, the phone vendors actually push the updates out. I mean, in general, 4.14 is not going to be six-year LTS. Right, I'm going to have to read more into that after this recording because I think you're wrong, but you know more about the shit than I do, so I'm probably wrong. Round one, fight! (laughs) One of the main blockers on this, though, is the GPU Mali driver. Now, according to them, everybody in ARM is in favour, bar one person. I don't know who this one person is, but hopefully they slip on ice during the winter and break a hip and uh, don't come back, and then we're all sorted. Very nice. Isn't but, it though? Isn't it? No. But all right. So looking at this, it seems like one step towards the dream of having, like we have with x86, you can just have one generic image. You can take Ubuntu, Solus, Fedora, whatever, boot it on multiple machines, and it works perfectly. That still seems very distant, though, with ARM devices. 
yeah, it doesn't help that everything's so customized. I mean, but there's no incentive to kind of work together either because all you have is your short cycle of your new latest piece of kit. You don't want it to hang around and be useful that people can update it. You want it to be as obsolete as quickly as possible. So you buy the next one. I think renting of phones is the way to go. Not renting as in your terrible, terrible contract that you pay, but some form of upkeep because I can't see phones being so woefully out of date after a couple of years. I don't see how renting would... Well, it's not renting. It's more subscription. So, you know, you get the updates. So the company doesn't need to make a new device necessarily every fecking six months to a year. All right. So you're saying that you just pay a little bit every month and then there's less incentive for them, the manufacturers, to uh, pump out new devices and make the old ones obsolete. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much development that's going into them. I mean, yes, maybe somebody will tell me that I'm talking out my arse and the iPhone X is the most amazing thing. Ten. Well, I don't believe them. No, I'm going to say X, like OS X. It's OS X. They can no, just... it's OS ten, or it was OS ten, and it's the iPhone ten. Pay on to Caesar. What is Caesar's? We're not in Rome, so I'm not using Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to be correct. Speaking of correct, I can't find the reference I saw. I did see it on Twitter or Google Plus, but for now, we're just going to assume I'm wrong, and someone can comment later on saying what the actual time is i did definitely see something about it you're gonna make me look like some sort of twat if you're right because i've been <laughs> saying this on action news and stuff for the past couple of weeks yeah i mean there's a lot of confusion but it, like this is back from back in like september and october it was announced that there would be a, a six-year window for him but i saw something only the other day saying that 4.14 wouldn't and that it was future LTS. so now i'm confused so if someone comments and says what the actual story is, because I'd like to know, you know, as a fucking distro dev. <laughs> Before the show, you did say you were back on the energy drinks. So. Uh, how long my car- Yeah, just could be completely sparked. But yeah, I kind of want to know now. <laughs> well, I'll try and dig out some links for stuff that I'd read that said it would be six years. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on, but stick on kernel stuff. And, oh no, Linus Torvalds, he's, he said a swear. He said a swear on the mailing list. Let's write a lot of articles about it. But there is actually a deeper story. So he basically told Case Cook uh, that he was an idiot for trying to push his hardening shit into the kernel when it was not properly tested and stuff. And it's him doing his job, isn't it, Linus? So, uh, Ike, have you been following this? Uh, a little bit. You know, like you see this stuff come up on Reddit and slash that. And you sort of lose interest because it's always, oh, Linus said a thing. It's like, yeah, so not really that interested anymore. But it's his usual thing, isn't it? Like his complaint here is security guys come along. It's like, this is how the architecture should be. It should, you know, suffer no fools, except for he's, he's basically saying that they only care about the security of that part. And then it'll actually turn out later down the line that something was half-baked, uh, like the config user pointer stuff that went in a while back, which was supposed to really harden the kernel, and then it started breaking user space because the security aspect didn't care about the user side of it. And it's back to the old argument, isn't it? We're the kernel, we don't break user space, silently ignoring the thousands of cases in which it has fucking broke user space. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of the same old, same old, but... Well, once he clarified it in another follow-up post that was a little bit calmer, it seemed to make perfect sense to me. I don't really know anything about kernel development. I'm not a developer. But the way he explained it, even in quite technical terms, seemed quite logical to me that you can't have these hardening things 
fucking up the rest of the kernel for security's sake. Because surely if you've got hardening features that are finding problems with the rest of the kernel, then the way to deal with it isn't push them in and make everything just crash. The way to deal with it is find the problems and then offer patches to fix those problems. Yeah, and as they say, you know, you log something first. You don't just test in production. No reason for this to actually go and do anything. You can just log it to DMessage or whatever, and then people will look at it and go, why am I getting all these hundreds of lines of this happening all the time? Is it a bug? Is it what? And then people could look at the system and go, ah, I see, we've got something wrong here, as opposed to just going, oh, kill. There you go. <laughs> Fuck you. I mean, it, it kind of seems the, in his calmer follow-up, as he said, I mean, the, the main thing seems to be what the security people are trying to do, from what I understood of this anyway, are they're, they're closing the gate after the horse has already bolted. I think that's sort of the way he's looking at it. Like, you're trying to put this big trap at the end of it when the horse is already long fucking gone, where he should be fixing the other part of the kernel to not do that stupid shit in the first place and, you know, then causing problems for user space. Yeah, I think a bug is a bug, as he says. Fair enough. You should report them slightly differently, but uh, they are just bugs. Which follows into... <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- what the fuck? How is it that Case Cook is getting into arguments with the fellow from GR Security and they're dropping zero days on each other on Twitter? Well... You know, it's like you've got a dick on one side and a prick on the other. You're getting fucked either way, really, aren't you? <laughs> so it would seem this is not how to go on. No. Arseholes. Honestly, ridiculous. I mean, Keys is wrong in the first place, but to then follow it up to, like, counter it with another one, I, mean, I don't know, I think that's worse. You know, it's like that thing in a rugby game, you know, who throws the second punch is the one who gets penalized, not the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's Case Cook, by the way, not Keys Cook. Well, it's, it's Keys, because that's where Yankees come from, because Dutch people were Yan or Keys, and that's where they said all the people from New York were Yankees. Well, I double-checked this, and on the Ubuntu wiki, his uh, entry there says that it's pronounced Case. So Dutch people, write in and tell me how right I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, Brad Spengler from uh, GR Security decided to drop another zero day it's just like what the fuck guys sort it out do do that sort of thing in pms or whatever not on public um channels like twitter if you want to one-up each other then there's this pm on irc or whatever to do that it just uh it just makes everyone look bad when they do this shit and the real problem with the spangler guy is he's clearly sitting on a bunch of zero days he's not passing back upstream because that's how he makes his money and then he goes on about it being slavery that people use his patches without paying for them (laughs) despite the fact that he's based it on a linux kernel that you know if it wasn't there he wouldn't do uh he wouldn't have anything to do with it you know it's like i don't know where these people come from they're clear there's a special breed of people required to do this type of work and they're lacking in some areas yeah um, all right, well, let's let's cheer things up and let's talk about some gifts that are positive in the freedom dimension. <laughs> oh, man, the FSF, the, bless them, is all I can say. Give the gift of freedom. A new phone or computer can be the highlight of the holidays, but with proprietary software lurking under the wrapping paper, your thoughtful gift may be more naughty than nice. 
And so there's like phones, yeah. So instead of like a new iPhone, buy buy them a shitty old <laughs> Galaxy phone with replicant, which we know is you can, terrible. You can imagine like the Facebook post now. I don't know why my wife of twenty years split up with me. She'd asked <laughs> yeah. me for gold. <laughs> well, according to Stallman, that would allow you to then concentrate on patching Vim and the like, rather than wasting time on human relations. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of all right looking laptops, like old ThinkPads, which you know are going to be solid and are going to work well and they work properly with Triscoll. And, um, well, they're solid because they're made out of fucking bricks. Yeah. <laughs> they're literally solid. There's even a convertible, the X200T, which looks quite nice for maybe 10 years ago. It'd be almost too modern for you, though, Joe, wouldn't it? Yeah. Have they updated the CSS? Are they using CSS on this? I'm sorry, I'm just amazed by the website at the moment. Continue. Like, <laughs> sorry. But uh, and books, DRM-free eBooks, and there's some links to that, which is good. And then stay away from Amazon. Amazon is one of the most notorious DRM offenders, uh, which is true, isn't it? Uh, and where's O'Reilly? While the publisher's eBooks are still available from third-party sellers in both DRM-free and DRM-encumbered formats. You had to fucking remind me, didn't you? You had yeah. to remind me, the pain. They stopped selling their DRM-free catalogue earlier in 2017. So, yeah, that sucks. Stay away from Spotify. Yeah. What? Stay away from Netflix as well. They um, Pushing DRM as official W3C recommendation. And to be fair, Netflix, right, they always said with um, DRM, that, oh, it's not our fault. It's the studios. The studios <laughs> making us. And now they fucking make more content than they buy. And it's all DRM to the max. Yep. So that's yep. just bullshit, quite frankly. So, so hang on, wait. FSF was right then, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so it would seem. Yeah. But it's it's a, an interesting read to, if nothing else, to see like the state of truly free stuff that they endorse versus like what's actually modern and good. I mean, it is improving, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you have to be somewhat fair to them. At least they're doing, you know, they're not standing outside telling you, uh, you know, spitting at you if you bought a iTunes voucher or something like that. They're actually doing a positive sort of reinforcement and saying, here, look, you know, if you did buy these things, they are free. I mean, yes, maybe not everybody would want what they got, but... Yeah, at least it's practical. At least it's positive, practical advice, isn't it? I think credit where credit's due. Yeah, they're doing a good thing this time around. Anyone notice that the again? I, I don't know why I'm fixated on the color scheme here, but <laughs> does it remind anyone else of the System Seventy Six branding? Yeah, it does a bit actually yeah. with that yellow underlining and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm, maybe they've uh, taken a leaf out of their book. Um, all right, well, another positive one to end the news on, and that is there's a new Raspberry Pi Foundation magazine called Hackspace, which is free as in beer and also Creative Commons if you want the PDF. Or you can uh, pay for paper versions and you can buy it in the app and stuff. So you can pay if you want or you can get it for free. And Andrew Gregory and Ben Everard of Linux Voice fame are working on it, which is good to see that they're gainfully employed. But it does go to show quite how much money the Raspberry Pi Foundation have got slushing around that they can afford a second magazine to burn some money. (laughs) What, people pay for these things? Ah, fuck it. Yeah. Well, at least they realized that people would just pirate it if they wanted to, yeah. and so they just make it free. But I, I cannot see that this makes any money for them. They, it must be subsidized. But they don't need to, do they? I mean, if you can churn out that many pie boards, yeah, there's got to be enough slack in there to, to make a PDF, You know, employ a few people and produce what essentially produces more people buying more gear. 
I'm waiting for the day that you actually get uh, build your own kits on the magazines. Like they'll, they'll have like twelve weeklies, and you get all the different bits and build your own Raspberry Pi from it. Like yeah, sold it all together. <laughs> With the more added danger, though, at least when I built a terrible Airfix model, no one was going to die from electrocution at <laughs> yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Oh, battery, not mains. Shit. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, this is essentially an advert for the raspberry pi isn't it it's like look at all these cool things you can do if you buy a raspberry pi so i suppose you could consider it to be just promotional marketing material for them and community as well to an extent yeah yeah and i had a flick through it and it it looks pretty cool it's not really my area i'm not really into the old um physical making and physical computing and stuff but um that's what i do software too fucking lazy yeah (laughs) there's a load of people who are into it so do check it out anyway it looks pretty cool uh, okay, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. Go to entroware.com to check them out. They sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1604 and 1710 pre installed. And they're a cool company who cares about Linux. This isn't a side project for them, this is all they do and all they care about. And Okay, they officially support Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, but I have thrown all sorts of different distros at my Entraware laptop, and all of them worked absolutely perfectly. If it works with Ubuntu, the chances are it's going to work with Fedora or Arch or whatever. And they've got all sorts of laptops from affordable stuff that's ideal for just web browsing and email and stuff, all the way up to huge powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA graphics that you can do 3D art and video editing and graphic design and machine learning, that sort of thing. And they've got some desktops as well and a server. And most things are configurable in terms of CPU and RAM and storage. So do check it out on the website. And they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, do mention us at checkout. There's a box you can put in late night Linux and they'll know we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So on to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you to everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon very much appreciated and uh, today at work i was just thinking uh, if everyone who listened supported us then uh, i wouldn't have to go to work anymore and that would be pretty cool but obviously not everyone is in a financial position to support us and we totally understand that but if you are then pony up motherfuckers we want some money just imagine a black and white film now poor joe sitting there working away all day sitting there i (laughs) wish each month Poor podcasters are forced to feed from court. <laughs> if you give just six euros a month to a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and if you want to get involved with that, go to latenightlinux.com slash support and you'll find the various ways with the PayPal and Patreon and stuff. And even Bitcoin, which will probably be worth a million pounds in five months. Um, and if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact for various ways to get in touch with the email and stuff. Uh, quick update on the Nexus 9 situation. I mentioned it last time. The reason that it's slow is because it's encrypted by default. That has become quite clear to me from what people have said. But I tried various ways to do that, and I just could not make it work. I'm generally pretty good when it comes to flashing ROMs, and uh, I know about recoveries, and I know about ADB commands, but try as I might, I could not do it. So if anyone has got a comprehensive guide of how to do it with the latest lineage, on the Nexus 9, I'd be very appreciative of a link. And uh, yeah, latenightlinux.com slash contact or just tweet me at Joe Rissington or whatever or Telegram group. 
so yeah, hopefully I can get that sorted because at the moment it's just sitting there useless. Uh, so I can't even read the news on it and stuff, which sucks. And I didn't do a backup, which I should have done. I feel like Ooh. such a twat. I thought, ah, oh, fuck it, it'll be all right. And uh, yeah, I could have just done a twerk backup really easily. Um, anyway, so let's move on. Uh, quite a while ago now, Jeffrey Bouter, Bouter, listener, asked us where we stand on FOSS licensing, specifically copyleft versus permissive. I honestly don't know where I stand on this. I know, Phelim, you are hardcore copyleft, and Ike, you are, well, your distro is copyleft, but you're kind of leaning more towards permissive. No, uh, the distro's not really copyleft. The distro itself doesn't have a, an overriding license. It's the culmination of all the licenses contained within it. Budgie desktop license? Uh, dual license, GPL 2.0 and LGPL 2.1. Right. So you can actually build applets and not have the GPL2 forced upon your uh, applet. Right, but you didn't MIT it, for example, or BSD or uh, Apache or whatever. No, uh, I, I kind of have a few habits. So if I'm building a library or any sort of C library that you're going to link against is invariably going to be LGPL 2.1. I won't go with LGPL 3.0 because it's typically quite invasive and can override other parts of your project. If it's a simple C binary, invariably it's going to be GPL 2 because it, it's easier to exchange snippets between programs and still have GPL compliance. Um, if it's Golang or Python or something, I will invariably use Apache 2.0. Um, that's when I start going out into um, permissive territory. If I'm doing examples, they're probably going to be MIT, just so people can reuse them and not have licensing conditions forced upon them for whatever they want to do with their work. So, yeah, I, I kind of go... I, I, I kind of do whatever makes it easiest for other developers. And to me, that's giving them the most freedom. Whereas the explicitly copy left licenses which are all about freedom magnificently restrict the freedom of myself and other developers to for them to do what they want yeah they are not properly free licenses they have a restriction they restrict your freedom to make it not free which is a kind of weird yeah it's it's a weird one i mean i know there's there's certain areas where like people say like the gpl does a better job at this that and the other but then you could start to get into situations where the source license is affected by the binary mixing and you use GPL 3.0 on one part of it and it overrides the license of everywhere else in the project and it gets a bit virulent and I and I really don't like that. I don't like that one license can invade your project and change the result to something that's no longer compatible and forces itself at the highest version. It just seems very much anti-freedom to me like if i if i create like a, a bit of code that i want other people to use i want them to do this all with the maximum flexibility while still respecting my intentions so if i create something that's lgpl 2.1 people can link against it people can put that bit in into their project and have that linking exception you know my my code is still respected my my freedoms if you are you know they're respected but so is the intent of the new developer as long as they're also happy to respect the licenses, they're allowed to do that. As opposed to, say if someone made a change to, shitty example, right, Budgie Desktop um, in the window manager, that part is GPL2. If somebody then went to put a GPL3 change in there, like using GPL3 code and I didn't know about it, I stand risk that I would have to relicense the entirety of Budgie 
to GPL3 just for that code snippet. Like you cannot backport it, but someone could quite happily take my GPL2 code and put it in their GPL3 stuff. It's it's that virulent, like it's that dangerous. And I do view GPL3 as a very dangerous license. So I only have one project that I'm aware of um, that is actually GPL3, and that's only because it's Python. And I cross-developed the code for two different projects, one which was already GPL3. So I started the new project out as GPL3 to comply. But I wouldn't knowingly ever start a project now that was GPL3, just because that risk of invading other projects and completely upsetting that ecosystem and their licenses. I think it's a disgusting license, personally. All right, Phelim, you're sitting there triggered. <laughs> so <laughs> defend copyleft. I, I'm not hardcore. I'd say more softcore uh, copyleft. <laughs> Vaseline on the lens. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I can totally see your point. Yeah, you don't want anything to spiral through the system, but I did kind of laugh internally when you were standing up for developers, developers, developers going on about how virulent GPL code yeah, was. But even in my own projects. <laughs> Which goes far to say it's a cancer. Yeah, I, w- I was, I think cancer is a virus, is it? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> a million biologists have cried out in pain right now with that. Uh, some, some cancers are caused by viruses. Oh, God, there you go. Okay. It's good enough for me. <laughs> okay, so I can see your point. Um yeah, you don't want something you don't want to accidentally import something. Uh you get a GPL three rip it through your system. That makes complete sense. I am not as opposed to GPL three, but I yes, I think you should sort of you know, keep it in a, a tier of, you know, this particular piece of software. I don't want anybody to end up using this piece of software and be taken advantage of. So I'm taking it from the user's side of things because I think developers are smart enough to develop their way out of a problem. I think a user who just wants to use a computer needs to be protected because I think a lot of the time they are not. That's such an authoritarian bullshit way to look at it. Right, okay. I'm going to channel Paddy (laughs) now for the old Luddites listeners. So if you've got a permissively licensed bit of free software say Apache or MIT or BSD or even public domain. And someone takes that software, makes some changes, and then makes it proprietary, then so what? Your original software is still there. And yes, they haven't shared their changes. And yes, the the community has not benefited. But there is no net loss because your original software is still there, is still licensed under a free software license, and is available for anyone to use. So what's the fucking fuss about? There very much can be a thing. Look at how Chrome has now managed to beat down Firefox by doing nothing more than... Uh, be good? <laughs> no, it's not just being good, though. If you if you honestly say to me that you don't think there's shenanigans afoot with Google Maps and... Um, oh, what's their talking thing called? Hangouts. Yeah, if you're not telling me that they're doing some sort of fiddling going on there, I do not believe you. Well, the fact that Maps just crashes constantly in Firefox. Without a doubt. I don't think that there is malice there from Google. Hmm, yeah. You definitely wouldn't want a completely open browser that respects users to be sort of lulling, lulling their people away. Like, But isn't that like a different problem? Like... Obviously, we all want to use free software. <laughs> well, I got interrupted. I was in the middle of making my point, and I was savagely attacked by wrongness. Well, hang on, hang on. Right back to this maps thing. Right now, I'm saying this. 
I don't think Google deliberately makes it crash in Firefox. I think they don't give a shit about Firefox and they don't test it in Firefox. Yeah, and they do an awful lot of winking when they're saying that they're not doing it on purpose as well, I'm sure. Well, I'd just uh, my theory on life is the malice and incompetence thing. Never put down to malice what is incompetence. I think that it's just them not giving a shit, not testing it properly, if at all, because why bother spending money testing it on a browser that you don't care about? So you're saying they've hired all, some of the best developers in the world ever, got them all together, and are incompetent. Fair enough. That Yes, definitely doesn't sound like a... <laughs> I would agree that there is a market benefit to having large products work better in your browser than another. Like, I will not dismiss that point. Okay, okay. Seeing as you've brought it up, right, this is going to be one of my points where I think GPL software is good. You wouldn't have the likes of Chrome if it wasn't for GPL software. Because if you remember, it was uh, Conqueror's uh, KHML engine, which Apple took to strip down to make WebKit, which they got berated for not releasing properly. And when they eventually did release it, they released it with a whole bunch of Apple-referenced internal, this fixes A572164, and it was no use to anybody until they were beaten with so much guilt that they had to actually release something. And then Chrome became out of all of that. Now, you can go and say, well, of course, they just will use something else. Yeah, well, they didn't. You know, it's like, why is Linux so popular? The GPL is a contract that says, Whatever you do now, we're not going to take it and take it proprietary. You put in the work and the contract is, at the end of it, no one gets screwed over. No, no, but that's such a misconception that you're not making it proprietary. You're making a proprietary thing from it and the thing still exists. It's like this idea of piracy or you're stealing a thing. No, you're making a copy of it, making some changes and not releasing those changes. The original thing is still there. Yeah, but you can. what you can do is take all of that and then use it to crush the open side of things. Look at Apple. Uh, you tell me then that because Apple has released a kernel that they got a free ride on, everybody can make an equal system to Mac OS. No, they can't, because they're able to use their might. Freeload off, I mean, you know, you can say, well, they took the BSD kernel. Yeah, they took it because they could use it and not have to give anything back. And while they did release the source code for it, it was an awful lot after the fact, you know, it's like a bit of history rewashing going on there. You know, they used their advantage at the time and got as much free out of it. It's like the guy from GR security, you know, if he, why is he not using a BSD uh, system to patch and make all secure? He's not because there's no, not, not the users there for it. The reason people are using Linux is because they know it can't go away. And you can say that, um, you know, the software doesn't disappear. Yeah, it doesn't. But you know what? It can become stagnant and useless. And it's not like the world is remaining stationary. The hardware that you're using is not remaining stationary. Everything is constantly in flux. And if you're not keeping up with it all the time, it might as well be dead. It might as well be taken away. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that people do that. But I'm just saying if you're going to be free, you've got to be totally free. Surely. No, that's nonsense. That means that if I don't like the look of some guy on the street, I'll just shoot him in between the eyes. I mean, no, there are rules on life in general. I mean, you can still have a very free society with still having some rules to allow freedom for everyone, not just the strong. I would argue we're looking at this from two different angles. One of them is proprietary software, bad, which, you know, I totally get that. 
But say from my perspective, I'm talking about developing cult bases and allowing people to contribute in a meaningful fashion. And you will find that there are very many projects out there that are under permissive license that are very, very, very popular, right? Yes, obviously having under a permissive license, yes, it does make it easier for someone to come along and say, uh, we're going to take this code base, close it up and stick some branding on top of it, right? That can totally happen because Chrome is a perfect example of that, right? It, it can happen, but say from my perspective, it's... Okay, first and foremost, I am not a free software developer. I'm not a free software developer because... I am not a fucking politician. I do not agree with forcing social contract upon everyone, which is very much what people who want to see GPL free win the world are about. And that's not me. This whole thing that if you use GPL software, you adhere to these freedoms and it's it's a political decision to use free or and or <laughs> open source software that suddenly it's a political and a social issue. For some people, they just like it and want to use it because it's cool. Nobody uses Android because it's based on Linux, right? Maybe a couple of people do. They use it because it has market dominance and does what they want it to do. You know, there's not people coming to Solus because they go, Jesus, you know, that's based on free software. They go, you know, I actually like the fucking look of that. That seems pretty cool. So people can use things because they are good and because they appeal to them. And I don't think that we should use slash abuse licenses as a way to force our own social or political or socio-political agenda on unsuspecting people by using the license terms as as a condition that they abound into this new social contract. I think that's complete and utter bullshit. And that's sort of why I sway towards permissive licenses where people aren't standing there with fucking fence posts and, and torches expecting you to join their cult. Because that's the way this whole thing comes across. If you allow people to have a little bit more freedom in how they collaborate with a project, but then still understand that there are terms for contribution and an expectation that there there is this open community around development, I think you'll get there. And I think a lot of the problems that we actually have like say with the apple thing basically pulling the wool over people's eyes that wouldn't happen so much today because it's now as an industry standard practice to use open source software it is laughable to not use it anymore so i don't think the risk is as real as it once was now you could argue but the GPL made that possible, and I would fully agree with that. The GPL made it possible to get to a world where open source, free and open source software, sorry, is the industry norm. But I think because of that, you no longer need to force the contractual, contractual obligations of the GPL on people because it's fucking stupid to act in the proprietary fashion that we have done for all these years because it's just not good anymore. Okay, that's fine. But I think there's a funny thing is that you are probably around 10-ish years younger than me, right? Mm. So you didn't grow up in quite the same environment where software was always proprietary. Like, I wasn't from before when it was free and it was all hippies making computer code down in California. It was it was all proprietary when I got to use it. And only barely while I was in uni was able to actually start using open software. And I think the problem is that there's an awful lot of very big companies who would very much like that it went back to being proprietary again. Oh, yeah. They can talk up as much as they want. Like Microsoft have done good things, but I think people have to stop giving them as much leeway that they are giving them about how great they are for 
doing whatever latest thing they're doing. Right, because they're expected by the industry to behave it that, like that right now, because that's what everyone else is having to do, isn't it? Yeah, but you only have to wait for a short while. I mean, look, we now have uh, DRM and uh, HTML5. It doesn't take long before that becomes the norm, and then it's going to be DRM in more areas. Mm. And, you know, oh, well, really, we should have to have DRM inside the processor. So, you know, it can only run code that's signed by Microsoft and Apple and whatever is allowed. Mm. And then you get back to the point where we can't, for love nor money, buy a piece of hardware that we can actually install the software on. And you can say, like, you know, how does GPL solve that? Well, I think that's the, the fear that was in uh, Stallman and Moglin when they developed it is the fact that TVization, fair enough, in a set-top box, you buy a set-top box to be a set-top box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not, it doesn't take too much of a stretch where computers are going to be uh, to the point where you literally can't change the battery in a laptop anymore in a lot of cases. You know, you're not going to be able to change any component in there. It's going to be a sealed unit. Look at a Chromebook. I mean, yeah, at the moment you can, I know, twiddle a screw and you can install your own OS. But, I mean, they take the fucking screw out and put glue in it. You're, <laughs> like, you're fucked, you know, and then you've got, a closed system built on free software. So is your stance basically, if you make it impossible to stray from the licenses, then you would never have a situation where there was effectively large closed um, code bases? I, I don't know. I think I'm just, I have a slight pessimistic view of people that a lot of people will share if they can share. But I think there's an awful lot of people out there who want to do harm because all they care about is making money and, making sure that you can't just use that software for as long as you want. They're going to want, they want, you know, you have to pay every month because if you don't, the license kicks in and cuts you off and sure they can't do that if it's open. Uh, And I totally see your point about uh, you don't want to release a piece of software. You want everybody to do whatever they want and use it, you know, as easily as they can. Yeah. I mean, me, I'm more of a hippie than the hippies that are defending it. Right. (laughs) And it's, it's an absolutely valid goal, and I'm totally with you. I wish it was like that, though, but it's like I believe that we need police and I need that we need armies yeah. for the main reason that even in our own history here uh, in Ireland, like we see how things can go, you know? it's and Sometimes peace is the most dangerous thing you can have. <laughs> hey, yeah. Just you wait till that hard border comes back, boys. Oh, no, it's going to be digital, apparently. <laughs> and it'll be running proprietary software. <laughs> No, I mean, you are right. You are right. And, you know, I, I kind of like to look at these things in the ideal world because, to me, I, I very much understand what freedom is. And I, I, I find it offensive the way that freedom is talked about nowadays. You know, like, um, this is exactly what you'll do with your freedom. And to, to say something that is quite offensive, what is spread around today around the internet as the perception of freedom is actually a very, very American interpretation of what freedom should be. <laughs> and it's not accurately what freedom entails. And now I know that's a, a very offensive thing to say. And frankly, I don't really fucking care. What do you mean by that? An American version of freedom? Only three days after Thanksgiving and you're already spitting on them. I mean, for God's sake. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the the vocal majority when they talk, you know, like the internet in general, right? It's it's not quite like world issues. It's more like localized issues, if that makes sense. And like, if you look at any of the arguments going on about net neutrality, and if you look at any of those conversations going along from the people who are being very vocal about it, it's all about how it's the, the American industry and American politicians and American decisions. It's, you know, it's not the grand picture of freedom is the point I was trying to make. Anyway, 
for me, the the whole freedom thing, I I look at it in the hippie sense, you know. I wish we could all get along. And I, this is what freedom really is without telling people, like, well, you can do this, but shit, don't do those things. But then I can also <laughs> see your point where, you know, generally history has shown that people can be dickheads and sometimes they need to be told not to do these things because apparently people don't really understand right and wrong that greatly. There has to be these guidelines so, yeah, I can see your point. I just wish I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. I wish it didn't have to exist either. Fine. I'll still use GPL2, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we have enough free software at our call, hackers will be able to kick out those dirty licenses and everything will be fine. And so I suppose that will do it for that discussion and indeed this episode. So we'll be back in two weeks when Jesse will hopefully be back with us. But until then, then I've been Joe. I've been Phenom. And I've been very controversial. (laughs) See you later. Goodbye, very controversial.